is the 4th of July, and I'm on, right? I haven't been like silent this whole time. Good. Uh, today is the 4th of July, and I want to opportunity to thank you all for joining us for the 4th of July uh, weekend. Holiday weekends are always like hit and miss here at church, and, uh, and I'm hoping there's still a lot of you online with us this morning. Um, but I see that many of you have survived the heat wave, which was two weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, or whatever, and uh, it was crazy heat, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, not—I feel guilty, but our family dodged the heat wave, so we were in an air-conditioned condo and on some breezy beaches, and, uh, and I tell you what, we had that planned way before the heat wave uh, came, and so if I would have had my choice, I would have suffered—no, I wouldn't have. I uh, would not have, um, but, um, but yeah, it, it was a funny feeling to me to watch from afar what you all were going through here, and then also be on uh, vacation. And for me, seriously, uh, there was probably the first three or four days of vacation where I felt guilty. Like, I felt guilty to be on vacation, to be away from all of you that were going through what you were going through, or just being away from all of you who were doing your work and doing your stuff and, and doing life, and I was not. I was on vacation. I don't know if anybody's ever struggled with going on vacation and feeling that or not, but I, I seriously felt that. And with the 4th of July on the horizon and knowing what I was going to be preaching about today, uh, it made me think seriously about freedom, the freedoms we have, not only, you know, uh, as part of this country and the 4th of July and all that, that that entails, but also the freedom that we have uh, in our feelings and our emotions and, and the things that uh, kind of, kind of hold us uh, captive and, uh, and, and consume us or keep us from enjoying something like a vacation uh, as we kind of uh, analyze what people are thinking. What are people going to think? What are, you know, what I'm doing, what they're doing and all that. And so uh, it, it got me really thinking about this week and talking to you guys about this freedom that we have here uh, in, in America and, and as Christians and all that kind of stuff. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about true freedom, uh, and, and freedom that is that outlasts any sort of freedom that we hope to have, or that we hope to escape from, or that we hope to uh, to not wrestle with as much here uh, on, on this earth. So, on the Fourth of July, we celebrate independence from Great Britain, uh, specifically from 1776. If you haven't watched uh, Hamilton, uh, I learned a lot over these last couple years uh, that I didn't learn in high school uh, when, I, when I, you know, dodged tests and, and, and papers and all that kind of stuff back then. But, but even early on, the 4th of July and Independence Day and Independence led to what I really think and observing was the opposite of freedom. Uh, the rise of political democracy, which then led to cultural and even religious restrictions, uh, and then which, which is kind of just in a nutshell real quickly led us to uh, some of what we celebrate today, which, which is oftentimes can be, you know, summed up with the idea of taking an extra day off of work and, and, and having an excuse to, to barbecue some more expensive steaks on a, on a weekend. Um, but being that it's the 4th of July, I want to talk about this idea of freedom and what it means for us as uh, Christians. And I would say even for what it means uh, or what we kind of maybe think it means as a Western culture. And, and, I, and I call it that now, and I'll let you decide here at the beginning whether or not you relate to it or not. 
Uh, and then this idea of cultural fr freedom being a big deal. Um, so uh, to quote the questionable theologian Mick Jagger, I think oftentimes we think our freedom uh, is, uh, is whatever we want to do, right? I'm free to do what I want any old time, right? Mick Jagger, right? Uh, uh, so love me, hold me, love me, hold Am I embarrassing myself yet? No, but he says, I'm free any old time to get what I want, to do what I want. And I think oftentimes that's what we think, and actually that's what we desire uh, as freedom. Like, that's our freedom. That's what we want in our lives. And I believe that very mentality uh, that many of us actually see as freedom is actually a way to live a life that is the most constricting uh, that it can be or limiting uh, where we find ourselves kind of falling into traps and falling into believing that what I want is going to get me the freedom that I desire uh, in my life. Um, the freedom we want here on earth oftentimes is tied to political or social or economical or a status of life. Uh, but freedom, eternal, eternal freedom, the freedom that we're going to hopefully uh, grab a hold of this morning makes all of the freedoms on this earth seem so very small and, 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 and petty. And things that we often spend the m most amount of our time discussing and aspiring for and grabbing a hold of are oftentimes some of the smallest things eternally that matter. Freedom is not freedom from this earth. Uh, Freedom is, is eternal. It's not only freedom from this earth or what uh, the Bible tells us, temporal. This earth being temporal, this earth being, you've heard me said it before, uh, say it before, said it, said it. I'm going to mix up my words like nobody's business. Um, but, you know, if, if the time, if the length of time spanned this whole stage uh, eternally, uh, we would be like a splinter on the end of this stage compared to eternal time. And so uh, freedom uh, is eternal and not just freedom from earth or what we oftentimes aspire and go after. Uh, and this, this morning, I think if you're, if you're like me, you, you know, oftentimes you want, uh, you want freedom to be whatever I believe to be uh, what I desire for in freedom. And I'm not going to tell you this morning what you do or don't have to believe but what I want to tell you is uh, freedom that we have uh, in, in, in this life first uh, isn't to do with believing or aspiring to get whatever you want. Freedom, actually, biblical freedom, scriptural freedom, freedom that, uh, and we'll look at Paul, often talks about in Scripture is freedom from this world, from the things of this world, from the temporal things that have been created on this world. That's what freedom is. Uh, John 5 talks about the idea of uh, whoever has the Son has eternal life. That whoever has placed their faith and trust in Him and the acts that He did has that eternal freedom. And that's where I want us to focus this morning. That, 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 that is larger than anything that holds us captive here on earth. And there's kind of four things that I want to talk about this morning that I think we battle with when it comes to our freedom. Uh, the first two are, are like in it. 
But the two biggest things I think that hold us captive here on earth and that keep us from freedom are shame and fear. Right? I think our shame uh, and fear. And, uh, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we have all in some way experienced some shame in our life. Uh, you know, I could go ahead and make you raise your hand. How many of you have ever made a wrong choice in your life? So just everybody in the room, none of you are raising your hand at home. Yeah, good for you. Uh, no. Um, but we make these wrong choices in our life, and oftentimes the wrong choices that we make in our life kind of lead into shame. Whether it's self-imposed shame we put on ourselves, or it's, or it's shame that others put on us because we've made a wrong choice, uh, whether that be close to us or people that believe differently than us or whatever. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all, we've all experienced uh, some sort of, of making the wrong choice and feeling that shame. A, a little bit better th of a uh, theologian than Mick Jagger is Brene Brown. And Brene Brown said this quote, shame can connect, or shame, little, hey, I'm going to read it right. I moved the last two days. Whew. All right. Shame cannot survive empathy. Shame cannot survive empathy. Uh, if you know empathy, empathy is the ability to relate to someone. And so uh, when you're empathetic, you can relate to someone or something that, are going, that they're going through. It's related to a, a, a kind of care-filled uh, relation to something. Um, not what I normally would do, which would be like, Man, I can relate to them. I'm glad I'm not in their position, you know. All of you should be like, I'm glad I'm not in the middle of a big move. Um, no, but, and oftentimes that's what I want to relate to. I want to relate to the idea of, uh, whew, I'm good thing I'm not in that position. But true empathy is caring for and understanding what somebody is going through. Uh, Christ uh, is, is, is incredibly empathetic. Uh, towards his his people his creation Christ knows and relates to what we have and what weighs us down He empathizes with us So God sent his son to earth to experience everything all the emotions all of the uh, You know you can put shame on it everything that we've gone through Christ came to earth uh, for us uh, Ultimately to die for our sins and, and we'll get to that in a bit but also to empathize with us and what we're going through. So he knows, he knew not uh, what we often can view God and, and Jesus as this high-throned person that's looking down and making judgment or, you know, acting like a puppet master with us. No, he enters into uh, and takes on with us whatever it is that we are going through. He empathizes with us. And what happens when we realize this, we then can in turn uh, empathize or understand what Christ went through. Because we enter into that relationship, that empathetic relationship with him. We empathize what he has done for each one of us and how that ultimately affects each one of our lives. And from that, we get freedom, specifically uh, and, and non-specifically, from this idea of even shame. I read this week that humiliation, which is like a, like a close second cousin to shame, I think, uh, humiliation is, is a more intense feeling 
than happiness or even anger. I won't make you raise your hand if you're in a happy spot or if you're in an angry spot, but we, we know those emotions. Like we can grasp a hold of those emotions, but humiliation or, or shame is, is even a stronger emotion for us than happiness and anger. And I believe human, uh, humiliation is a result in this outcome of this heaviness that we have. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of solve this here in a second, but that second feeling that we have that I, that I sense is this hold captive that is uh, this, I, this separation from, uh, from, uh, from freedom is the idea of fear. And I believe fear divides us from freedom. Fear uh, holds us captive from uh, the, the experience of uh, freedom. Uh, fear is, is, is just a weird emotion. It's... it's, it's it's, it's, it's weird in that not everybody has the same ones. We can all relate to it because we all have our own things. But uh, what's, what's weird for me is these past two or three months going through everything that kind of we've gone through with move and life and, and even the vacation and all this kind of stuff uh, that was going on in our lives, I've had, uh, I've had the most fear I've had in a long time. Like in my life, I've had the most fear about things working out or, or things not working out or whatever in my, in my life. And I know you're thinking, like, really, pastor? Like, fear? Like, I mean, like, you're, like, closest to God. Than, no, we're all the same level away from God. I'm no closer than you. And so, yes, over these past uh, two or three months, I've had this fear, and, uh, and, 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 I, and I honestly get it. But some of the most well-meaning people in my life, some of the people I— respect the most in my life, uh, most like-minded people have been saying, saying something like this, and, and don't get me wrong, because we need people like this in our lives. They've said, uh, you just got to trust God. You just got to trust God. He's got it all handled. You know, have faith. Have more faith. Uh, and, and, and in all honesty, uh, my response to that was, I know, right? Like, why am I struggling so much? with fear and anxiety and, and getting wrapped up in this. And I think over the past year, we, we've all seen the effects of what fear can do for people. Um, what fear uh, leads us into uh, experiencing, doing, and, 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 and living out in our lives. And, and, I, and I thought about that over these past, you know, 15, 16 months, uh, and, and I've come to this kind of Resolution of uh, oftentimes uh, we, we tend to argue over the things that we're afraid of. And I think that that's been made clear over these last, uh, last, you know, all this that we've gone through with the pandemic is the things that we've argued over the months are the things that, you know, one or whoever it is that you're talking with has, there's fear wrapped up in them. And, um, and, and as I thought about that, and as I, as I kind of was getting through some of my fears on my own, is what I've come to realize is that when we have true freedom in Christ, when we place our faith and trust in Him, often what that can lead us into is this idea that, and, and, and it sounds simple, it sounds much like my friends who have said to me, just have more faith, just trust Jesus more, you know, or trust God. But this idea is uh, that that we're giving the church, the, those of that has, uh, have placed our faith and trust in Christ that then have that freedom that he offers us, we are then operating from a position where 
we know something that is far greater than that fear in our lives. That we're in actuality, what we want to do is not argue over the things of fear in this world, whether someone's right or someone's wrong or, or what you believe is right and what I believe is right, and maybe we're both right or maybe we're both off a little bit, but to not squabble over that stuff, but actuality just present and give the overflowing of something that is far greater than any of that. And that is what Christ offers each one of us. And that is Jesus and Jesus alone. It's far greater than anything that we experience or anything that we face and or believe here on this temporal earth. Now, I believe both fear and shame are... are I was trying to think of how I could... Uh, you know, relate to those. Those are basically almost like clothing we put on. Uh, you know, a jacket or a shirt or a pair of shorts. Um, almost maybe imposed or laid over us. Uh, lies that catch us. And, and, and ultimately, they're kind of universal. Like we've all experienced some fear. We've all experienced some shame. Um, and, and, and those are things that are almost self-imposed. Galatians 5.1 says this, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This verse in Galatians is, uh, is, 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 is uh, telling us that uh, the things that hold us captives, the things that keep us, um, um, that keep us compartmentalized, that, that keep us from that freedom— uh, it is Christ's freedom that sets us free from those things. And then the two other things I want us to, to look at today before we kind of hopefully solve this uh, or, or really find some resolution is, is that it are two things that most all Christians specifically struggle with when it comes to our freedoms. Uh, when it comes to experiencing, knowing, and understanding the true freedom that we have as Christ. And I would go as far as to say that, quite honestly, many Christians, and I'm saying this in that I am right there with them, and you can decide on your own whether or not you relate to these or not, uh, we're far too good at or bad at. I don't, I don't know how you, you, you can determine it yourself, but they're traps that we fall into. And they're the trap of, uh, and I heard it put this way from a pastor friend of mine, pretending in performance that in our lives as believers, and even not as believers, I think other people can relate to this as well, we fall into the idea, the traps that keep us from freedom, and that is uh, the pretending trap and the performance trap. Okay, so here it is. Now the performance, tra uh, the performance trap is the trap that uh, that's wrapped up in the idea of doing whatever you can to obtain the status of God's blessing in your life. Like, I'm going to do everything I can, everything possible. I'm going to pray the prayers and attend the classes and attend the services online, too, counts. Uh, uh, do all the things I need to do to obtain God's blessing in my life. And that if I fall short of that standard, that God's going to punish me or that I'm not going to get the full amount of God's blessing on my life. And that if something happens in my life that brings hardship, I wonder if God's getting back at me for something that I didn't do or that I needed to do uh, or something that I did, did wrong. 
oftentimes what's wrapped up in this is, uh, have I done enough? Am I doing enough? Or am I good enough? Right? That's the performance trap. And this kind of life leads to that constant anxiety in, uh, in, in, in slavery and exhaustion uh, in, that's wrapped up in this idea of, of performance, having to perform and do something to obtain something. Now, the other common one for us, I think, especially as a church, is this idea of pretending trap, uh, that we pretend. Uh, and, 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 and I would say the church uh, in general, and you can, again, relate to it however you want to, uh, uh, is, is really good at playing this one out, right? Um, I say playing because it is, it, is, it is what it is. It is this. It's the idea of acting like we have everything together. Like we have it all. Raise your hand if you've got it all figured out. Sweet, you guys are in the right place because we are not a lot. Faith, Faith is the only one that's got it all figured out. So she's preaching next week. Um, no, um, but, but that's it. Like, no perfect people allowed in church, even though oftentimes what we want to do is we want to portray that we've got everything figured out. For 18 years of my life, I did not walk even close to Jesus. And oftentimes I worked with this person at Albertsons when I was 16, and they, they walked close to Jesus, but they walked like they had it all figured out. And that wasn't attractive to me at all. And uh, I don't know if you, if, how long you've been walking with Jesus or if you walked with Je not walked with Jesus for a while and you've ran into people who, who act as if they've got it all figured out. They've got all the answers. And I think as a church, you know, not specifically as our church, but as a church, that's oftentimes what we are going after, this pretending that we have it all put together. Uh, parents with children, how many of you argued on the way to church this morning? Oh, wow, you guys are perfect. Um, I leave my house far earlier than my family gets up to avoid the argument of, uh, get in the car, we need to go, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, but, but this idea is uh, that we don't have it all put together. Right? I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you think you've got it all figured out. None of you raised your hand, so I don't think I need to speak into that. But this idea of pretending or portraying and communicating that everything is fine in my life. Right? That everything is lined up. That God is so good. I'm so hashtag blessed, right? I don't even have whatever you hashtag. I don't know. Where do you hashtag? Twitter? Is it a tweet? I don't know. Is it an Insta? Instagram? I don't know. But I, you know, like... I'm so blessed by God, like so good, brother, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and ultimately, all that social media has brought that into the world. I think the church nailed it on that stuff for the long time. And now, all of a sudden, social media has created the opportunity for everybody to present themselves as having it all put together in their lives. Right? Which has brought us what the church has been good at, brought the whole world up to speed with what the church has kind of been good at portraying for a while. So now what do we do with this? What do we do with these ideas of shame and, and fear and to get out of the performance trap and to get out from underneath the, uh, the pretending trap that we have? Um, the gospel of Jesus and the freedom that Jesus offers uh, is what is the hope of the world, is what will set all of us free from all of that and everything else that, uh, 
that, that we get wrapped up in life. And one of the greatest books of the Bible, uh, well, the greatest book ever written is the Bible. Uh, and one of the greatest books within the Bible is the book of Romans. And so Romans has this pivot point in, in, in chapter 8 where it makes a turn and it talks about this freedom. Um, and so we're going to talk about just the first five or six verses of chapter 8 in Romans. Uh, but uh, at the beginning of chapter 8, there's a therefore. And if you're ever reading your Bible and you're like, you open it up and, and you're like in, you know, Ephesians 7 and it says, therefore, there is no whatever. You have to, it's in your best interest to go back and know why the therefore is, what the therefore is there for, all right? And so uh, if chapter 8 is really one of the greatest books in the Bible, I want to know why it's there for, what it's, why it's there for, what it's there for. So chapter 7, and Paul, again, writes the book of Romans, and in chapter 7, Paul, Paul, like the Paul, like Paul, great Paul, like wish I could hang out with Paul and have a cup of coffee uh, and talk to him about like all of the different times of his life and everything that he did. Like, that guy's amazing. Like, he went from, you know, killing Christians to, to gathering them to get, I mean, just like crazy. So I'd, I'd hang out with Paul. But Paul, like the Paul in chapter 7, the one that wrote most of the New Testament through God, God's divine power, Paul writes about his struggles with sin. Paul writes about his struggles with not understanding uh, and, and, and living in this constant wrestle and turmoil separate from freedom. Separate from the freedom that Christ offers. And so, so Paul admits that, uh, that, uh, that he is, and he outlines his struggles with sin and being held captive. And in, in, in verse 15 through 25 of chapter 7, he says, uh, The good I want to do, I cannot do. And the evil that I hate, that's what I end up doing most all of the time. And I hope when I get up here and talk, I share with you guys that, man, most of the time I get it wrong. Uh, hopefully what I'm preaching is, 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 is from the truth of Scripture, not from the truth of Jason. But uh, I challenge you to go back and look at it. And so that's what we're looking at. Chapter 7 is like, man, what I, the good that I want to do, I can't do. And the bad that I would love to avoid, that's what I end up doing. And that's my big struggle that I have. And so at the start of chapter 8, Paul says, therefore. So after he's talked about all of his struggles and everything that he's dealt with and dealing with and all this kind of stuff, he says, therefore. And it starts probably one of the greatest therefores ever written in the book of the Bible. He says, with all that I'm struggling with, with all that I'm batting, with all that I allow, how much punishment am I going to have to take on because of my struggles? How much guilt, how much anxiety, how much must I endure on the half of my struggling? How much punishment am I going to have to, to withstand? What must I do? How must I look after all this? Paul says, therefore, and he says, therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. After all, everything that I've struggled with, after all the, the good that I never do and the bad that I always do, there is no condemn, condemnation for those that are in Christ. This idea of condemnation is not a word that you just throw around at the coffee shop unless you're maybe hanging out with Paul. Um, but uh, th it's this idea of there being a charge on your life. There being a, a, 
a, a guilty debt to be paid. There being a, a consequence uh, for your actions that you must, uh, a penalty that must be paid. And what Paul is saying is there's, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, for those that have placed their faith, hope, and trust in him. That debt, that penalty, that whatever it is that you're facing has already been paid, full, dealt with. Never to be paid on again, never to be made a payment again. Right? There's no payment plan. It's already been paid. There's no such thing as paying a same penalty twice. Christ did it once and for all. The guilt and shame that you hold on to, that, we, that holds us captive, the payment has already been made. I think oftentimes it's easy for us to look backwards and realize Christ's actions on the cross paid for those penalties. But what about the penalties that I, that I live, that I have moving forward? Paid, done, finished. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ for the past or for what you're going to go through in the future, the future of continuing to make the wrong choices. God can't condemn you twice. I don't know about you, but when I get things wrong, I often feel the guilt that I think God is laying on me. I often feel like God is going to punish me again for my wrongdoings. But that couldn't be further from the case. That even whatever I do moving forward, Christ's blood and his love for each one of us has paid it. Paid for. Done. So that guilt and shame and, 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 and all that, I'm putting that on myself because I'm not trusting in that payment that has already been made. And let that sink in. It would be, uh, I, th I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, uh, it would be unjust for God to punish us again for sin. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Because justice has already been served for it. Christ has already been paid for those that have placed their faith and trust in him. I don't know about you, but when Paul wrote these words, words like 58 or 60 AD, uh, I hadn't committed any of my sins yet. Even like if you go back further when Christ carried the cross up to the hill, like none of my sins had even been thought of yet. But Christ paid it. And I think that that's the understanding, like we need to let that sink in, that even Moving forward, the freedom that we have in Christ far outweighs anything that we were going to do. I liken it to the picture, uh, God, the way God deals with us, the picture of Jesus' baptism, John 3, I think it's recorded. Uh, and Jesus uh, decides, oh, let's just do the baptism right now. And, uh, and the heavens open up and a dove flies down and God speaks and said, in him I am well pleased. Like, this is my son, I am well pleased. Like that image of the father speaking over Jesus and those that were around, that actual uh, 
you know, DVD if you were to rent it that moment to display God's love um, is how he thinks about you. Like it doesn't change. In you, you place your faith and trust in Christ. In you, I am well pleased. God's love doesn't vary for us. And nothing can actually change that love. And the trap we fall into is this idea of the more I can do, the more I can be like Christ, the more that God's going to love me, the more that God's going uh, to accept me. And that is not true. And that frees us from that performance mentality of like aspiring to do more or love more or love. I mean, like that's great. Like I want us to love Jesus as much as we can and continue to grow in that. But that doesn't change God's love for us. It frees us from that performance trap. And then when we, when we know that, when we know the true understanding of God's love, not varying, not changing, not coming and going and ebbing and flowing, like when we know that, then church, we spend that time, to, when we understand that love, then we, that God truly loves us with no, no conditions, that frees us from the pretending trap. Because we know that the creator of all things, the one that authors our lives, the one that has put us in the places that we have, his love doesn't change for us, so we don't have to be anything that we're not. That his love for us frees us from that pretending to be something that we're not. See, the Christian life is not a, uh, the idea of gradual self-improvement. It's not uh, getting better at things that hold you captive, that weigh you down, that hold you back. It is actually, and, and even in this uh, chapter specifically, it's about um, the fellowship with the Spirit, freedom found in the Spirit working in our lives, and Jesus entering into our lives. Verse 3 and 4, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. This is talking about like Old Testament law, the 613 things that you had to do. Like, if you got those things really good, then you were like higher level, closer to God kind of working. It's saying the powerless, uh, the old law was powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened by the people of that time focusing on that rather than focusing on God. Uh, God did by sending his son in his likeness of, of uh, sinful flesh to, this, uh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the spirit. Live according to what the spirit leads us to and through in our lives, fellowship with the Spirit, convening with the Spirit, being about what the Spirit, what God is about. And we've talked about this before. It's hanging out with Jesus. It's spending time with, with Jesus in His Spirit. That releases that freedom. Dwelling what is on what is good, and at least oftentimes, to think about uh, the li a list of things that the Spirit would be about. Uh, if you think about it, in our lives, uh, we often, um, we have friends in our lives. Friends that we like to hang out with. Uh, friends that we like to do things with. Um, 
And, 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 and when you hang out with somebody that you, that you, uh, that, that you want to be with, we, we do the things that they enjoy doing, right? And so the same thing is true about the Spirit. Dwelling on what is good, doing uh, what is in Christ's likeness, doing the things that the Spirit enjoys. So what is it that the Spirit is about? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to live in this freedom of Christ, if, if I'm going to believe and trust and put my faith in Jesus and His Spirit is going to live in with me and, 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 uh, and, and lead me in my life, what is the Spirit of God about? What is God about? Well, He's about beauty and truth. He's about justice. He's about God's glory. He's about righteousness. The Spirit's all about God's church. A little less about the gathering in a building than we are, but this is church. Like we gather with God's people. It's about the fame of Jesus. It's a, the Spirit is about... Uh, Leading people to the understanding of what Jesus did for each one of us. It's about spreading that message of hope to the world. So, if I'm going to be uh, in fellowship, if I'm going to be in relationship, if I'm going to be in friendship, if I'm going to allow Christ's freedom to live in my life, I've got to be about those things. And that's just a list I made, you know, in, in 15 or 20 minutes about what the Spirit is about. I mean, you... You, the Spirit will lead you to things that He's about. And those are pretty, like, basic core things. Where the Spirit is, that's where the Spirit's power is. So, if you're not in fellowship with the Spirit, if you're not in... in, 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 in in, in relationship, if you're not in desired friendship with God and His Spirit in your life, ultimately, His power is not there. Because we've distanced... If, if, if you think about it, it's a less than adequate example, but, uh, you know, there are friends where you say, like, man, I haven't been around that guy forever, but it seems like we didn't even skip a beat. Now... You know, on the surface, yeah, it may be true. But in actuality, when we spend the time away from people, when you separate yourself from a relationship, family, friends, or otherwise, ultimately there's some distance that grows in that, and their presence and even thoughts of them in your life grows distant. And that's the same way God works. Not that he is distant from us. He is always with us. Omniscient, om, omni, uh, yeah, all the omnis. Like he's present, he's all powerful, he's all knowing, he's all, I was going to mess him up. I wasn't even going to try all of them. Um, but he is always there. But in our lives, if we are not convening with him, if we're not spending our time with him, we've distanced ourselves from his power and his working and those things that are great. The glory of God, his righteousness, uh, the fame of Jesus, spreading hope, uh, beauty, truth, justice, all those things. We've separated ourselves from those things that God is all about. As his presence fades, his fellowship with us fades. 
It separates us from that freedom that we find that is in God's presence. Romans 8, 5 through 7 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the f- what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's that, that's that relationship. That if we uh, are focused on the things of this world, the flesh, that's what that means. It doesn't actually mean like skin, but the things of this world, when we focus on those things, that's where we've set our minds. But when we focus on the things of the Spirit, our mind is set on what the Spirit desires, beauty, truth, justice, God's glory, righteousness, God's people, God, Jesus' fame, all those things. The mind governed by the flesh is death. So the mind governed by earthly things is not freedom. It's captive. In, there's an ending to it. It's not eternal. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life in peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. The things separate, the things we separate, separate from God are hostile. They're in opposition to those things that God is about. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It's not about how much of the Holy Spirit we can obtain. Like, how much of the Spirit can I obtain? It is, however, how much of our heart the Spirit has. How much of the, the heartfelt things in our life we've allowed the Spirit to operate in. It's not obtaining more of God in our life. He's always there, always present. It's how much of our heart and the things that we desire that we've given over to that. If you hear from me or from anyone else who takes this stage, if you hear, go and do this better and you will receive this more, we've missed the mark. You've heard, and I can apologize, say wrongly. Because true freedom, true freedom in our life, freedom from the things that hold us captive, true freedom is found only in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that that you desire personal relationship with each one of us, Lord. Lord, like I desire to hang out with good friends and in good company, and, and maybe like most of us will hopefully get a chance to do as we celebrate this holiday weekend, Lord, I thank you that it is your desire, holiday or not, Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday at 3 p.m., 
Lord, that is your desire that we dwell with you, that we experience your presence. Lord, I thank you that with everything that we all have going on in our lives and schedules and and, and, and all that is what it is, Lord, that I thank you that in you we have true freedom for any of that to hold us captive, Lord. Any shame in times that we might have missed the mark, Lord, any fear that we may have in what is to come or what has come, Lord. Lord, freedom from thinking we have to, like, perform to be in your presence or pretend to be something we're not, Lord. I thank you that in all those things, you desire solely to spend time with us and give us the hope and freedom that is found only in Jesus. So this morning, it is my prayer for me, selfishly, and for my brothers and sisters and those that are gathered, Lord, as a pastor that you've given me the opportunity to share this, Lord, that it is my prayer that we would experience that freedom, the freedom that is only found in you, that can deliver us from anything of this earth, Lord, that the work you did on the cross for each one of us is far greater than anything that might derail us here on earth, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you that you, far, that you thought far ahead of Paul and his writings and the truth that is your Bible, that it would last the test of time, that the work that Christ did on the cross was for now and forever, Lord. We thank you for that. May you be blessed by our time spent with you, Lord. May it be freedom that we seek and find in what you offer, Lord. We pray this in your name.